Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm joined, as usual, with Mark Galley. Hello. Hey, Mark. <laughs> what's going on? We're going to have a great podcast today. That's what's going on. And you're really responsible for the guest. I am, because I heard her speak at a conference earlier this year, and I was real excited when we had, when we had an opportunity to have her on the show. So let me introduce her. Norma Pimentel is a sister with the Missionaries of Jesus and a licensed professional counselor with master's degrees from St. Mary's University in San Antonio and Loyola University in Chicago. She's been executive director of Catholic Charities for the past 10 years, overseeing its work in the Rio Grande Valley on the border of Mexico, including work with immigrants crossing the border. I'm looking forward to letting you listeners hear her because I thought she had some great insights about this whole issue of immigration, and she's able to talk about this in a tone that we at Christianity Today call beautiful orthodoxy. Welcome, Sister Norma. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm very happy to be here with you and to share what I know with the audience. We're really happy to have you on here, too. And we are going to get into this very thorny issue of immigration with Sister Norma in a couple of minutes. But before that, I just wanted to give everyone an overview of what we're talking about today. So last month, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions vowed to enforce a, quote, zero tolerance policy when it comes to immigration. Here's one way he describes how this would look. Quote, if you are smuggling a child, then we will prosecute you and that child will be separated from you as required by law, he said. If you don't like that, then don't smuggle children over our border. Months before he made this promise, Sessions had already started making good on it. Three weeks prior, the New York Times had reported that since October of 2017, more than 700 children had been taken away from adults claiming to be their parents, including more than 100 children under the age of four. As Sessions' immigration policies have drawn national attention, evangelical leaders have been increasingly speaking out. A letter from the Evangelical Immigration Table, a coalition that includes the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethic and Religious Liberty Commission, the National Association of Evangelicals, the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and World Relief, among others, had this to say to President Trump. Quote, While illegal entry to the United States can be a misdemeanor criminal violation, past administrations have exercised discretion in determining when to charge individuals with this offense, taking into account the well-being of children who may also be involved. A zero-tolerance policy removes that discretion with the effect of removing even small children from their parents. The traumatic effects of the separation on these young children, which could be devastating and long-lasting, are of utmost concern. Other Christian female leaders also started a Not Without My Child campaign in which they wrote a letter with more than 2,500 signatures to Sessions and Department of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. Sessions, in turn, has responded to these efforts. He came out with a statement earlier this month in which he spoke specifically to other Christians, because Sessions identifies as a Christian. And I'm just going to read some of his remarks right here. He said, 
Let me take an aside to discuss concerns raised by our church friends about separating families. Many of the criticisms raised in recent days are not fair or logical, and some are contrary to law. If you would like to read all of the remarks that Sessions made, we will link to them in the show notes. This week on Quick to Listen, we'll be discussing what the reality on the border is right now and how it is affecting families and those trying to help them, as well as border officials. Before we get into our discussion today, as a reminder, this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. We know that you're out there and we know that you subscribe thanks to this podcast, and we really appreciate everyone who has done so. And you can do so by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. If you become a subscriber today, you're going to get our June issue and you're going to get access to all of our June content in the physical copy and also online. One article that we thought you might be interested in is this piece that we have on Dorothy Sayers. Who is Dorothy Sayers? She was a British playwright, translator of Dante, essayist. And she worked for an ad team and wrote a, at, at the time, a very famous ad campaign for, I think it was for Mustard. So, and she Yes, was, that's exactly why we featured her exactly. in our publication. Thanks for clearing and that up. she was a devout and thoughtful Christian. So in her day and for decades afterwards, people find her, both her fiction and her, she's also the author of the uh, Peter Wimsey detective series, which gained quite a reputation in its day. I've liked her for her, for her essays. Uh, especially her essays dealing with theology. But she's a multifaceted woman that more people ought to know about, and this essay in CT helps people do that. And the preliminary comments we've gotten back on it is that it's done just that. People have loved it. In other words, she sounds very eclectic. Yeah? Yeah. Very, very, very sharp woman and was able to dabble in many areas. I learned in this piece that she actually had an illegitimate son. Yeah, which in the day had to be kept secret. Or you would, your social standing would plunge. Exactly. So she's a more complex figure at a personal level as well. All right. I hope that everyone is really wanting to read this article now. I read it yesterday. I thought it was great. If you'd like to read this piece, you can do so again by becoming a subscriber and going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, Mark, as you know, now we do our gut check, which is where we tell people how we really feel about things. Some version of that, at least. (laughs) Or how we first felt when we heard something. Some sanitized version of that sometimes. (laughs) So, Mark, when you were first hearing these stories about children and parents being split up, how were you feeling about that? Well, as usual, I had a mixed feeling. First of all, anybody who hears about that and doesn't feel badly, there's something wrong with them. A parent shouldn't be separated for children. And even when they're separated for good reason, it's just a terrible thing. Uh, So your first reaction is negative. Oh, my gosh, what's happening now? But, of course, as a journalist, I, I would start asking, so what is happening now? Why is this happening? What exactly are we talking about? And, of course, that led me to do some reading and try to figure out uh, how to understand what's going on and then what would be, besides the just the sentimental desire to scream out in outrage, what would be, in fact, some positive things going forward that we could do to help? Help these people who are... Help the situation, yeah. Okay. My initial reaction, I guess, was like, wait, what? I guess I just didn't necessarily know what was going on and why this was happening. And to be honest, I was really, I'm really looking forward to this podcast to getting some clarity about things. I think that I have just a confusion about, first of all, how if you come into the border, you cross the border, then somehow you're breaking the law. Because I know that you can claim asylum when you come over here. And so I didn't know exactly what these immigrants were doing, but they were clearly not getting past (laughs) 
the agent and sneaking across the border, they were encountering border security. And at that point, they were being split up. And I think that's where my especially or my, my, my big confusion was coming from is why are people who are literally meeting with the border security team getting split up and like, what's up with that? And I'm, am I missing something huge in this particular story about how I understand immigration law? It is confusing. Very complicated. All right. So, Sister Norma, you guys do a lot of different work at Catholic Charities. You're in a super diverse area. Um, tell us about your work with this community and how it got started. Well, um, thank you for asking. Uh, we are here at the border, right at the south, southern border with Mexico and the United States through Texas. And this has been one of the major sectors of people coming from Central America crossing through this area of the Rio Grande Valley. And so because of this, back in 2014, we had a great number of children that were coming through this area without their parents by, on, by themselves, and they were unclassified as unaccompanied. And so what happened was that Border Patrol was overwhelmed with so many fat children without space to have the children that were coming with their parents, which were the family units. And so they gave them permission to travel to another point in the United States where they can continue that deportation proceedings and determine whether they could stay here in the country or not. And so those folks, those families were then dropped off at the bus station, and these families needed help. They were in dire need of help. They were dirty, muddy, hungry, hurting in many ways, and and so desperately needing somebody to help them. And so the community reached out and helped, and I organized that response. And since then, we've been receiving daily family units, families, moms, and or children with their parents, and, and we were are providing the care they need to feel a person again, you know. And that's where we are. You, you hinted in that brief summary uh, about something you talked about uh, more extensively at the conference I was at, and I just think that would be interesting for listeners to hear. You te- we tend to think of there's the Border Patrol people, and they're against the people who minister to refu- uh, refugees and immigrants. They're hostile to one another, but your relationship with border uh, agents is quite different. Talk about that a little bit. Actually, I just got a call from the local Chief Padilla, who oversees this district, oversees all the Border Patrol, all the border from here all the way to Laredo, and and, uh, he's asking me, let's have lunch. And so what we do is we work together. We respect each other, and we we can actually work so that he can take care of of securing the border, which is his job, and my, my job. Is, is is to organize a resp- humanitarian response, and he's grateful for that. And so he's always calling and asking me, uh, "Sister, how are things? How can I help? Is there anything that that you need my assistance?" And so we actually can can sit at the table and look at what is occurring and how can we make best address it so that we do our job and and in the process also make sure that the people are cared for the way they need to be cared for. And the impression we're getting from the news is that the the amount of people coming across the border now has just multiplied dramatically. Has that been your experience? Well, uh, you know, it's not at, at 2014. The numbers were so high and so incredibly uh, difficult to manage, and and the numbers have gradually decreased and then have come up, and then sort of goes up and down depending on. On different factors, mostly t- the time of the year or circumstances, like, for example, when we had the elections here for presidential elections, the months before that, the numbers were incredible high, more than ever, you know, 
and then they finally went down because the elections were over, and now they're back up again, you know. And so not as much as we saw them during the elections in 2016, but it's a up and down, you know, gradually. Right now, it's a steady high. What would you say are the other factors, particularly um, in terms of what's going on in these countries where people are coming from? Ever since I became involved in, in re- my response with the, our community to assist and provide this humanitarian care, I become more aware of what is happening and the stories that the families tell us and share with us, why they come and how things are in their in their country. Uh, are pretty much the same since day one when we started to today. Though the situation is evident that there is uh, organized crime and that there's gangs and that they're making the the life impossible to these people and their life is in danger and they they fear for the life of their, their child. They feel that the gangs are going to recruit their child and if he doesn't respond, then they will kill him or her. And so parents are afraid and they don't see a way out of that situation other than migrating. And so so what happens here in this country, the the people that actually seem to control the whole floodgates of, of people entering the country are causing the problems over in their country and the problems they encounter along the way. And then how many people come and when they come seems to be controlled by but this, this organized crime that... Uh, that have seemed to know how to take advantage of whatever thing is politically is happening here in this country as a way to encourage people to say, this is the best time for you to come. You better come now or else you'll never be able to. And somehow they managed to, to get things to work for their advantage, you know. For instance, Jeff Sessions said recently that you could no longer claim asylum due to domestic violence or to gang violence. Do you think that his statements on this are actually going to change behavior from these migrants? That is not the reason why they're coming. They're not coming because anything our our government or administration is saying. They're leaving because of the situation they're faced with in their country. And they see no other option. They see that it's that or, or facing death, you know, facing an uh, immediate future that is not good. And, and so they're afraid of that. And so that's why they come. And so no matter what we say over here, maybe not as worse as what they face back home. And so that's why they come. And so unless we, something changes over there, I don't think that they would stop coming, you know. So unfortunately, Violence is violence, and they fear for their lives. They have credible fear for their lives. They are coming because they fear for their lives, and they fear especially for the life of their children. And so, unfortunately, our political silence does not address our times of today. It addresses other times of what, how we define who has the right for political asylum in a country. Yeah, that makes a certain amount of intuitive sense. If one is in a desperate situation, even if one hears that, some government officials said, we're not going to let people in. Uh, you're still going to say, maybe not, but I have a better chance of success trying than I am that I have staying here. So that does make some intuitive sense. Yes, I, I believe so. I mean, I asked them, why would you come? Why would you risk your life and that of your child? You know that it, you're not welcome here. You know, the people in, in this country are not letting you stay. And say, I have no other choice. I, I have to try. So the thing that's skyrocketed in the news is this this policy of separating parents from children for various and sundry reasons. I mean, what's what's your experience of that? Do you see that happening? Well, you see, uh, yes, it's happening, and we see it uh, 
for example, our humanitarian respite center is located across the street from the federal courthouse where you all the buses are coming in all day to the court to be prosecuted. The immigrants are, are prosecuted daily, and we see the big buses coming and dropping them off. And um, so it's happening, and we see it happening every single day where they go before the federal court judge and in large groups, and they're all sentenced together. The parents are being taken there, but the children are separated from them and sent to an, another center, uh, another detention facility for, for children. Are these uh, people who are going to appear before the court, are they sent to a jail? Because I understand that it's just illegal to send children to the jail with their parents. Right. They're not. I don't know that they're sending them to a, a jail. The Department of Office and Refugee and Resettlement, they subcontract with a, a private entity to take responsibility for the children. So there's all these centers that are spread out through the country, and uh, they are sent. the children are sent there. What would be a typical uh, length of separation uh, after the children are separated and the, before the parents are taken before the court? It could be from a couple of days, nine days maybe at the most, you know, that the, the children are separated, possibly kept under the processing facility that Border Patrol has where they have at Ursula here in McAllen. And there the children are separated and, and put in different cells and then the parents are in another location. And then th- that's where the parents are sent to the um, federal courthouse. And I presume at that point the children are sent to the other location for the, uh, where they'll re- remain there until they find their family members or however long they're going to be there. It could be up to a month maybe. Can you walk us through this process? Like, let's say that you're a mother with a 10-year-old who shows up at the border. So when a mother, the mother arrives to the border of the United States, and they enter through the river because entering through a, a point of entry or like a bridge sometimes becomes difficult for them to do that because the organized crime in the Mexican side will control who enters the bridge, you know, and and they'll charge them if they want to go in through that. And so, and also the people, the families, the mother needs to be careful not to get caught because either the government immigration, Mexican immigration will, will catch them and then deport them back to their country or the organized crime will catch them and rob from them and demand from them more money. So they'll try to get in through the, through the river. When they, if they're able to be successful and cross the river after having paid a good sum of money, then they uh, immediately want immigration border patrol to to apprehend them. They want to find an immigration officer that can take them because they want to request protection. And so the border patrol will then apprehend them and take them to their processing facility, which more than likely will be in McAllen, Texas. There. The mother will be separated from the child, and the, the children will be kept in a se- separate cells altogether. And the mother will be placed in another place where she will then be processed, and her information will be taken. And at that point, she may be there from one day to nine, ten days. It, it varies, and I don't know exactly why they may take longer with one, some, you know, to process them. But they're waiting there until they're ready to go before a federal court judge. Do they have an attorney? Do they have someone who is helping them prepare their case? Like if you're, you know, if you're trying to flee a particular gang, this person's saying like, this is how you're going to plead. There is a court appointed attorney 
that will talk to them as a whole. You know, there are 100 people there, uh, immigrants or refugees. They will all be talk, talked as, as one body and, and addressed and, and notified by a court-appointed attorney telling them what is going to happen. And so they have five minutes with this person. That would be a lot, you know, before they go before the federal judge. Okay. And then, so then they go before the judge. And how often does the judge rule in their favor? Never. Okay. They're all talked at the same time. And, and in other words, they're all told, you enter this country, you broke the law. You enter this country illegally, you broke the law. Therefore, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? And so, of course, they're all guilty. They enter the country, right, illegally. And so, therefore, you're sentenced to number, whatever, whether it's three months or whatever time the judge sends, then decides they need to. I guess I was confused initially because my understanding was that you were able to claim asylum in the United States. How does that asylum process work? After that, if the person wants to claim asylum, like I would presume they should be given the right to do so. But I don't know at that what what is happening at that point. Okay, so you can't just claim because asylum. this is not an immigration judge. This is a federal courthouse. Okay, being oh. taken there for federal offense. Okay, so th- it's not it's not asking if their immigration case is valid or not. Right. From there, they then are sent to immigration case. If they request to a public asylum, I, I would presume they should be allowed to go before an immigration judge. And then the immigration judge may rule in a different way? Right. In other words, what they're being told is that if the reason why you're claiming political asylum is for gang violence, then, then you don't have a case and therefore you don't have credible fear. And therefore, they are not given an opportunity to do anything there. You talked about the system being outdated, though. When we talk about political asylum, we talk about political asylum in the categories that somebody has a right to request asylum in another country for political reasons, for religious reasons. And so there's specifically certain reasons that you have to be able to say you're asking for political asylum. But I don't know that that, that necessarily speaks to our time of today and the kind of violence we're experiencing in our world, in the different countries, and, and how maybe we need to revisit what it is that the political asylum stands for and whether we need to revise that. This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. Today, we are talking with Michael Card. He is a singer and songwriter, and he served as a stylist for the Christian Standard Bible. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing good, Maury. You were a stylist for a Bible. What does that mean? Well, I had to become a quick study and learn what it meant myself. What it means is their 17 translators are all working on different parts. When they finish a part, then they would send it to me. As they would finish a run on a book, because so many people are inputting, I would read through to try to make the style consistent. And I have I have enough Hebrew and Greek that I've done enough work like that. I've got a master's in biblical studies. I would sometimes question certain words. And sometimes they would come back and agree and say, you know, that we, we'd argued about that. And sometimes they would just ignore me, which, of course, was there. They're the PhDs. But it was a really interesting process, and I, I learned a lot about language. The cool thing was I got paid to read the Bible for like two years. I think I read the whole thing through seven or eight times. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com CT. 
This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. So we walked through what happens with the parents in this situation. Can you tell us what happens with the children? The children, if they're separated from their parents and they never get to be reunited because they the parents are then taken to prosecuted and more than likely deported at that point back to their country. The child remains here in the United States and and will be under the custody of these centers that like Padre South as one of them from Southwest Keys. And they will have the child under their care until they find their immediate sponsor or they can deport the child back to their country. In which most cases, I think they might be trying to deport them back to their country as well. But at at a different time that the parent is being deported. So some of the stuff that we read that Jeff Sesson said earlier, you know, he talks about fighting against child smugglers. Is child smuggling an issue that you see? I don't know that it's child smuggling. I mean, human trafficking is definitely an issue that we need to make sure we address and we uh, try to prevent. But I think maybe what he's referring to is whether a person borrows a child from somebody else and brings that child into the United States so that they can get permission to travel into the United States, okay? And that may be happening to some extent, but it's easy to detect. I mean, you can determine the, the, whether the <laughs> parent is a, is a legitimate child or not by the DNA testing, and there's ways to do that. So um, I definitely think that, that if that happens, and which I'm sure it may be occurring, you know, and the consulados from the different countries are helping the U.S. government to address that and to correct it and to identify those folks that are not the legitimate parent. And they're doing it as a way to enter the country. And that is possibly happening, yes, but it's not happening to uh, uh, everybody. You mentioned earlier that you have been building these relationships with border control agents. Can you tell me how that started? Well, you know, back in 2014, when we were seeing families being dropped off at the bus station, they needed help into helping them and, and to assist to them. And and uh, we didn't know whether they were 10 people or 100 people or how many people were at the bus station released in an ongoing basis, maybe day or night. And so I I said, I think we need to talk and, and sit at the table and, and look at what is happening. And they agreed. They said yes. Um, and so that's when we started a relationship and and started to see that that we needed to be able to to work together because this community and the city officials also were concerned because of course they wanted to make sure that we were addressing the needs of these people and that the community did not uh, feel overburdened with what was happening and so we all sat at the table and we talked and And we have been since day one, you know, and so it has worked out really well. Yeah. Tell us more about some of the stuff that you guys kind of partner with each other on. Well, for one, they send me a text every day to let me know how many people are going to be released 
into the, so that we will know uh, how to prepare. And, and so that's one of the things that we do. We also, for example, when there's a larger influx of people coming and, and the numbers are going up and, and the Border Patrol has a good way to determine whether the numbers are going to increase or not because, uh, because they can determine from the number of people that are actually crossing through Mexico. And so the chief of Border Patrol will call me. His sister, we need to get together and talk. He'll bring in the local sheriff and the local people from the city as well. And, and we sit down and see how can we help make sure that we are handling this the right way and so um, and making sure that we all are doing what we need to do. Especially in my case would be to uh, help the families that we are helping. One of the things that the families do get every time they're released is an ankle bracelet. It's a way for the for the government to track where they're at and making sure that they show up to court and follow through. And so sometimes those ankle bracelets are very tight. So we get we can call them and tell them that we have a mother or, or somebody that has one that is bothering them. And so they'll come over and, and fix it so that if it's better. They're very accessible to help us in whatever way we, we see it can help. And it makes it a lot easier for this population to be able to advocate for themselves because they know that you guys have a strong relationship with Border Control. I think that's important. You know, I think that they need to see that the Border Patrol is not our enemy. They're doing their job and they, and we can work together to to make sure that they follow through. I think the, the folks that are coming, the families, they're not trying to get away. They're trying to give have a a time uh, where they can be safe and that before or until they see that their country is doing better, you know. And so I think it's important we encourage them to report to the immigration office wherever they're going. If they want to guarantee their safety in, in, in their status here, they, it's important that they follow through with their meetings that they have and so that things can go better for them. Many of those who listen to this podcast and also myself included you know, we don't live on the border. What are we missing about what's happening there because we don't live over there? Well, for one, the border is safe, okay? Uh, it's probably the safest area in the United States, I think, you know. And you talk about it's not a war zone. It's not uh, It's not dangerous, you know. Um, life here is, is really uh, very tranquil and, and nice. And the one good thing about the border and the people here in the border towns is that we're very, we work together. Uh, we have a very good relationship, all the different uh, entities. When something occurs, whether it's a hurricane or whether it's this uh, circum- uh, humanitarian crisis that we face, we can come together and talk and see and see how can we better address and how can we help and do what we need to do together. And so um, it's um, it's a good place to come to, you know. And uh, at the same time, I believe that the people here in the border have a wonderful heart because. The reason why I'm able to do what I do is because it's through all donations. I, I, you sit down at the center and the refugees uh, that we have right now, the Humanitarian Respite Center, and they're constantly bringing clothing and and uh, fruit and things that we give to the refugees. And it's amazing the support that we get from people. When you actually see the family, and I, that's why I don't understand how people can say, oh, we can, we should not help them. Uh, I had one time a, a lady who comes over, and, and she, I needed a, a back in the 80s. We were having a similar situation, and we had a lot of refugees from Salvador and from Nicaragua. And this lady co- comes over to the shelter because I had asked her that I wanted to buy a, a Xerox machine. And she told me right off from the start, 
sister, I'm 100% against what you're doing here. I don't believe we should help these illegal aliens. They broke the law, and they shouldn't be here. And I said, well, thank you for telling me. Let me show you what I do and why. So I took her and showed her that I went around and the dormitories and showed the families and the kids and the, the moms. And I shared their stories and what they, why they were here. When we got back to the office, she said, Sister, I'm 100% in favor of what you're doing. It is not until you see that face and that child and that mother and you realize they're not criminals. They're people and they need help. And I don't know anybody that would not have the heart to not reach out and help another human being that is in distress and needs your help. So you just think sometimes people miss, yeah, just the fact that it's other humans. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. We need to look at our laws and, and make sure that we protect ourselves, our country, and make it safe for us. But at the same time, we cannot overlook that we're working. We're talking about human beings, people. And let's, let's do our laws can be humane and can be a process that can address things correctly without never just simply ignoring the fact that they're human beings and they're people. And we must listen to their story and understand why they're here. And I simply just completely everybody just turn our backs on them. No, I don't see that the Christian thing to do. Where would you say that you do see God at work in everything that's going on right now? In the encounter of the families, of the mothers, of the children, with our volunteers, with our people that are reaching out to to help them, to be present to them, to show them that they care. It, it is in that encounter that God becomes very real and very present. You know, it, it's amazing. There's a transformation in the refugee, a sense of dignity that they receive, and there is a transformation in the volunteer, in the person reaching out to welcome them, to embrace them and to be present to them. It, it, it touches you in a very special way. You know God is present right there. So what can our listeners do if they want to improve the welfare of these families who are coming across the border? There's many things to do. One of them is, of course, they're coming to our country. Uh, don't be scared that they're here. Uh, reach out and listen to their stories and find out why they're here. I'm sure that in your community there may be some uh, families or people they're, they're scared and they're lost and they don't know who to turn to. Uh, they need guidance as to what, how to reach out to uh, those uh, places where they can help them and, and then so that we can be able to uh, make it safer for them and also speak up and, and be a voice for those that can't speak for themselves and, and so that um, our laws and our, our Congress people can, can defend the rights of those that are not here to harm us but that are really are here to make our country better. We need people that stand for family values. I mean, these people are, are they're, they're what one thing they have is their faith. You know, when I see them, I bring them in the evening sometimes to my convent to sleep at, in the hall, and there's a pet chapel, and they just kneel down before the Blessed Sacrament and cry in Thanksgiving and being grateful and, and of God being in their lives. Don't hold back. It is all our responsibility. Live out your faith and uh, don't be afraid to do so. Thank you very much, Sister Norma, for, for giving us all that information. Um, a reminder to everyone who listens to this podcast, you can give us feedback about the podcast at podcast at christianitytoday.com or we're on Twitter at CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments 
And it's a great moment, as everyone knows, for Mark to talk about golf. <laughs> that is exactly why we have it next week. <laughs> Just kidding. Or fly fishing. <laughs> or grandchildren. So My life is very simple. <laughs> it revolves around very simple, joyful things. Which includes doing this podcast with you, Morgan. But I can't say that as a precious moment because I'll get razzed for that as well. Obviously. I would be merciless about that. I have another one that's even simpler, even if it's a bit disgusting. <laughs> that is to say, <laughs> that is to say, I uh, had there was a funny smell in my brewery. Half my garage is dedicated to my brewery. and uh, But we also have the, the, how, the home freezer in there. And I was getting a funny smell, and finally I noticed that it was coming from the freezer, and I noticed that the freezer had been off for many days, and we had lots of meat in that freezer. No. So we had rotting meat in the freezer. No. So I had to take the meat out, put it in a plastic bag. It still was a disgusting smell. And we had to hold it in that freezer and restart the freezer for three days while we waited for the garbage to come, you know, garbage trucks to come. The precious moment was this morning when I took that bag and dropped it in the garbage can and put the garbage can on the curb. That was a precious moment. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. All right, um, Mark, where can people find you if they want more stories of rotting meat? The Gallery Report. Christianity Today slash The Gallery Report is where you can find it. That's spelled G-A-L-L-I, where I... Link to articles and comment on them. And uh, many people seem to find that helpful. So I'll, I'll keep doing it until, until they tell me otherwise. All right. Sister Norma, do you have something? The most beautiful and precious moment for me is when I can see the face of a child and I can be able to help them feel better and smile. And so um, those are precious moments for me. And so I hope you can do the same and, and find opportunities where you can be able to have those precious moments in your life, making somebody else smile and feel good. Is there any kid that you met in the last week that you felt really touched you? Yes, uh, yesterday I, there was a child in our center. He was crying and crying and, and his face was full of tears. And I said, what's wrong? And he had, he had this little ball and that he had dropped and another child picked it up. And so the other child claimed it as, as her, her ball, you know, <laughs> so... So uh, I was trying to say, well, how do I fix this? You know, both want the ball, you know? So I think I need another ball so I can be able to give it to each and every one. So I had to give the ball back to the to the child that had the ball first. And I said, I'm going to find something else for you to make you happy too, you know? But it's um, it was one of those moments that children are precious, you know? Yeah. And that's fun when you get to spend time with them and they just keep acting like kids. Yes, that's so important. Yeah. Let them be children. And I'm assuming you see children that are super young, too. The children that are there are, are um, very young, sometimes in infants and two, maybe 10 years old. Wow. All right. Where can people find out more about your work? Do you have a website or social media yes. page? We do have a website. It's I believe it's catholiccharitiesrgb.org. That would be a perfect place to get a hold of us and, and or Catholic Charities. So... My precious moment, I think, is yesterday I had people over for dinner, and we made ibaritos, which are like fried plantains. Have you ever had those? Yes, I have. Actually, I just got back from Central America. I was in Salvador in Guatemala, and I had plenty of those in, in Salvador. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're really popular. I ate them in Colombia, too, and I think they eat them like in a bunch of the country. You know, they just smash the plantain, and then you deep fry it. 
Very nice, yes. Very good. Uh, very good. Um, so we ate those yesterday for dinner, and we made them. And now I'm like, I should just buy some plantains and make them more often for myself, as long as I don't mind eating deep fried food. Um, so that was great, just to have people over and eat delicious food that we made. That would be my precious moment. Wonderful. I know. Perfect. Right. Exactly what I want to do in June. Um, people can find me on Twitter at m e p a y n l. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And you can become a subscriber at orderct.com slash quick to listen. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. Thank you to everyone who rates and reviews the show for us. We really appreciate you going on Apple Podcasts to doing so. It really helps a lot. You can also find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, most places where you want to get your podcasts. We will see you all soon. Bye. Bye.